I just want to go on record for being the one I am okay with there being winners and losers. That's not my issue. And I and I have a problem with with games where they're like, we're just gonna we're gonna give you a participation trophy. I have a problem with that. But I think you can play a game and just have fun playing it and not have to know what the score is. I think you can do that. That's twice more fun. That's what I usually do when I play golf. Twister is <laughs> well, at golf, the highest score wins. <laughs> I play golf. I, I play golf, and it's like, it's like, how many strokes is that? I have no idea. Only way I can score, I can win in golf. <laughs> I think the best. I think the best way to play golf is whoever, whoever makes the the most awesome insult of the other player <laughs> yeah. is the winner. I totally think that's true. The golf course is the only place where even Jesus oh would cuss. <laughs> I think that if you don't throw a club, you're a winner. <laughs> I heard, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said that, that uh, you know, why do they call it golf? Because all the other four-letter words were taken. <laughs> I just thought, That's funny, come on. I love golf. I really do love golf. It's, it's, it's fun, but it's not, I mean, it's, frustrating. it's really, if you care about winning, then it's frustrating. I don't want to play. If it's just fun, whack, you know, smacking the balls around and trying to, you know, and then making fun of the bad shot that your friend has made, then, then it's fun. I want to go golfing with you then. That's why I always go golfing with Pastor Phil. I only played like the Wii version of golf. Because Pastor Phil is really bad. I always win on that one. What the price is wrong, Josh. Mm-hmm. What, what is that from? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is one of the scariest scenes in any movie ever. Where Bob Barker's like, <laughs> you know, like like that scene right there is just really like somebody that I always loved as a kid all of a sudden became like an evil demon. He was like, ah! <laughs> no, Bob, no, don't do it. You know, you know the movie Mr. Deeds where you hear over the phone, you hear, "No, Daddy, no!" Aiden, my son Aiden, does that all the time to me. Like, I'd be like, "Aiden, Joshua," I'd be like, "No, Daddy, no!" You talk foul in front of the ladies. He's like taking his belt off. I, I really love that movie. It's all, it just also reminds me of the Christmas story when when she's on the phone and she's like, do you know what Ralphie said? And she's like, what? And it's like, oh, no! Is it, you know where he heard it? Well, probably from his father. Not from his father. Why would you? He heard it from your son. And then you hear, what? 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 No, Mom, what I do? What I do? <laughs> Uh, that kid never swore again. I love that movie so much. That kid never swore again and got caught. Right. That scared me. I never said a word. Never said a word. Exactly. That movie is one of my all time favorite movies. Okay. Well, anyway. It was on like 10 different channels yeah. during Christmas. It's always dad, on 10 different channels. I know, my dad kept switching it to like, we rewatched the same part of the movie like four times just because my dad was trying to go. We're all staring at you. <gasps> what?
<laughs> what exactly is going on? Hey, that was. That was. That was almost a cackle from over there. <laughs> Like, I'll get you, my pretty, kind of like. She's a big fan now. Who's on that? <laughs> she turned me into a newt. <laughs> I got that. My, uh, I forgot what I was looking at Oh yeah, the Spirit Rhythm. Yeah, Spirit Rhythm. It mentioned when they went across the bridge. What is your name? What is your name? What is your favorite color? Blue. No. That's the point. I just love the look on his face. Blue. No. I want to see that. Oh, I don't know if you, you do. <laughs> That's funny. You have to be watching with the right group of people. You, it has to be like three I'll in the morning. I'll look for you. <laughs> you have to have had way too much caffeine, and you have to be around a bunch of people that are are, are uh, enjoy ridiculously dry, stupid humor. I, I don't know. I think Alora, there's one part that would straight up say. There's there's a scene in the film where they what where they're taking a cat and just hitting the hitting the water with it. You just hear If that's funny, you'll enjoy the rest of the film. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. My favorite is the guy at the end. He's like, I feel happy. I feel good. All right. See you next week. Here's your nine pence. When they ride into the town and it's not like a, it's not a kingdom, but it's like this really drawn out long community of system. Yes. Well, that that's, that was the scene before I had ever seen the film. See, I, I, my friend was like introducing me to Monty Python. I was like fifth grade, okay, and and he's like, you know, and so I started like looking around for different stuff, and I hadn't seen the movie yet. But um, my friend had given me a couple of VHS tapes of the actual TV show, which was Monty Python's Flying Circus, and um, and so and then I went out and bought a comedy CD of theirs. And on the CD were several scenes from the movie. They're just in audio. And it was that scene where he says, you know, where the guy starts talking about all these different, we're in a narco-cyniclist commune. We take it in turns to act as executive officer for the week. You know, and, and King Arthur's just like, who lives in that castle over there? And then the guy's like, help, help, I'm being repressed. That's, that's my favorite. I was, I was on the ground peeing myself with laughter <laughs> listening to that scene. So when I actually saw it in real, like on the, the yeah, that was my favorite oh, movie oh my before God. I ever saw it. <laughs> you could have called me Dennis. I saw a t-shirt that said you could have called me Dennis and I was just like, oh my gosh, but they didn't have it in my size. I was oh, so no, no. mad. I used, to have, I, was I, like, used, I used to have one that was the Black Knight and it said, um, it's only a flashback. It's only a flashback. Yeah, but yeah. see, that one's almost too obvious. Like, right. like the ones that everybody's like, oh, the Black Knight scene's so funny. That's not the one I want to you know, connect oh, no. with. I want to connect with You Could Have Called Me Dennis, because most people would never remember that. But that scene is really funny. That scene is one of my favorites. The only reason I know is that because uh, have you ever seen the Ultimate Battle of Ultimate Destiny or the Ultimate Showdown of Ultimate Destiny, like the music video that was made? No. It mentions Monty Python and all the girls like that. That's why I knew what it was before I saw the movie. So I was like hoping to see that in the movie when I saw it.
Well, on that same CD was this was the election night special, and it, which was my all like the one like skit of theirs, which I still pee myself with laughter listening to. And it's a, the two parties are the silly party and the sensible party, <laughs> and they're and they're just reading off the thing. And there's just different antics, but there's this one guy who's running as a third party, the slightly silly party, <laughs> and he doesn't get any votes, zero. <laughs> So they talk to him, and he's like, are you at all disappointed by this? He's like, not at all. And then he starts singing Climb Every Mountain from from The Sound of Music. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes. The you know, the, the, the old nun is like, Climb Every Mountain. Well, he's, he starts quoting it. He's like, as I always say, Climb Every Mountain. Ford every stream, and then he just starts singing it, and like stands up and like until you find your dream. It's like everyone climb, every and of course the whole crowd is like <laughs> that. I just really I laughed really hard. Anyway, <clears throat> we might want to talk about the Bible at some point today. That would be yeah, that would be great. <laughs> What's that? Well, I, do I? I have money. I own the Holy Grail, yeah, but I think that's the only one. What? Oh my gosh. Wait, what was oh. Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking sings some. Song. <laughs> Stephen Hawking sings the galaxy song. It'd be even funnier if it was like a, like a whole album of people singing that can't like actually sing. Like Helen Keller sings the Monica, and it's just like no sound at all. You don't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> like the full seven minutes, there's no sound. <laughs> or bumping into things all No, Helen, the microphone's right. Oh, jeez, uh, Helen. Josh, whenever I was a freshman in high school, I was in theater class, and I'd never seen Monty Python, but we had to like reenact a scene from whichever movie we wanted, and they picked Monty Python. And I was like, I've never even seen this. So we went to the library and they showed me like a clip of what they wanted to do, and we were laughing so hard we got kicked out of the library. <laughs> <laughs> that is easily when I, I, I took a speech class, and the first assignment they gave us, well, the first assignment they gave us was speak extemporaneously for five minutes on this topic. It was like a a hat full of topics, and we had to just pull the topic out and go. And everybody else was like, um, 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 and I just like pulled it out and went for like eight minutes, you know, and the teacher's finally like, okay, just stop. <laughs> but the second assignment was a dramatic reading where we had to find <laughs> something and do a dramatic reading. So I did, I teamed up with another person in the class and we did two Monty Python sketches. We did the, the dead parrot sketch, which was, <laughs> and, uh, which is just, it's, it's wonderful. <clears throat> but, yeah, I got like an ape, like 103% in that class. <laughs> it was fun. Sometimes you know. <laughs> I would love to do that a little more. Yeah. Stephen Hawking sings the. There's a, what is that? The thing where they get. I don't know. There's a movie. I don't remember. But I think it's. I don't know. Maybe it's a. Uh, anyway, this guy's like, people think I'm smart because I talk in a robot voice. <laughs> <It's> like, 
He's like, <laughs> you mean the vampires? <laughs> <laughs> that is, and it's like, I don't think Stephen Hawking is all that intelligent. Anyway. That is so bad. I like vampires. <laughs> 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 I like to make vampires. <laughs> I like to make werewolf movies. Okay. <laughs> No, we really are. Oh my gosh. It's it's the werewolf poetry slam. If you haven't seen it, you need to just need to see it. You know what's funny? We talked about this last year during our fast, and we couldn't watch it, so we had to wait until after. Hey, he brought it up. He brought it up. Before the fast, He brought it up. It's not my fault. Okay. Random comments from okay. <clears throat> All right. Shall we? I knew coming up here that I was not going to be able to get right down to business because I'm just like scatterbrained. And, but that was a great waste of twenty minutes. Let's continue. Let's. All right, let's pray, and then we'll go to Ephesians 3. Oh, Father, we love you. I thank you for silliness and the gift that it is, and I pray that you would bless this time together and show us what you have to show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to try and make it through verse 10 today. We're going to try. Hey, we did more than 10 verses last time, so I think we'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> that reminded me of another Monty Python moment. <laughs> you know where, where <laughs> what's his name is like shooting th- random things. You know the, the uh, Tim the Enchanter. He's just yeah. like shooting things. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he takes his staff. He's like and like hits this tree and it explodes. And everybody's like, "Oh, that was cool." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they call anyway. me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Random <laughs> uh, Some people just with a gift for randomness. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians 3. Right. Who remembers where we ended last time? Anyone? No? I thought not. Okay, let's continue. Ephesians 3. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard from the steward of the stewardship of grace which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief, referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay. Paul is being characteristically ADD, just like I have been for the last few minutes, okay? The Apostle Paul was brilliant, but he could not stay on topic, even in writing. Now, this is probably partially because he apparently had problems with his eyes, um, and he would not write the letters himself, although he was highly educated and he could write. His handwriting was apparently really bad, because at one, one of the letters he says, see what, see what large letters I use uh, when I write in my own hand. And, and people think that's, that they, they equate that with Paul being, uh, like having, you know, vision problems. Um, there were several times when he was ill, things like that, and there's been a lot of 
a lot of guesses as to what was going on with him in those moments. But anyway, um, he he so he would dictate all of the all of the letters. Perhaps he was dictating. Um, but he would he would dictate all the letters. It all comes back to Monty Python. Folks. He would he would dictate all the letters, and then he would have someone there who would write them down for him. So he would he would go off on these gigantic tangents. And in this one, verse one through all the way through like thirteen is all a big huge tangent that he goes off just rambling on, and then he gets back to the point. Okay. But let's start with verse 1. He says, for this reason. Now, what am I going to tell you? Whenever you see something like for this reason or therefore or this is why, please read the verses that immediately precede it. Please don't just keep on going as if he didn't say something that you have no idea what it means. Okay, so when you see a verse that says, therefore, like Romans 12.1 says, therefore, in view of the mercies of God. Well, what does that mean, therefore? There was an argument. There was something else that preceded this statement. But a lot of people have no idea what the end of Romans 11 actually says. Or even any of Romans 11 actually says. You know, it's like Romans 12.1, therefore, in the view of the mercies of God. And they just go, you know, right into that without understanding the context out of whence it came. And it, it is really, really, really important that we understand the flow of the thought. We've got to understand the flow of the thought because if we don't, we can totally misread what the writer is trying to say. Is what is your problem? Okay. Anyway, I I don't even want to go there. Um. I'm sure it's hysterical. Yes, I'm sure it is. But anyway. Now I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> you have to know the flow of the thought and not interrupt the flow of the thought. I didn't say that. I was trying to be quiet. You're just sitting with her going, hee, 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 In very Brandonish glee. Brandon has a gift for glee. Not the television show. The actual use of the word. So, why does he say, for this reason? For what reason? For what reason? Is everybody awake today? Okay, for what reason? All right. Because, in chapter 2, he says, because... God has brought the Gentiles from being far away to being near because Jesus has made one man out of the Jew and the Gentile. One spiritual man is connecting the two in order to make a dwelling place for him, spirit on the earth. That's what chapter 2 all says. That's the reason why Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, does something, which we're not going to find out for a while. Um, now, he says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ... I, I love that. Okay, he's not the prisoner of the Romans, although those are the guards outside his cell. He's the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Is that an interesting thought? The only reason I'm in here is because Jesus wants me in here. As soon as he says I can go, I can go, no matter what the emperor or anybody else has to say about it. I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus. I've been put in this place by him. 
That's a pretty healthy perspective for a man who's been who is will sit in prison for quite a long time. He says, "I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I, I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. I'm not. I'm not being. You know, I'm not. They're not hurting me. I'm exactly where Jesus wants me to be, and there's nothing that anybody can do about it." Can you imagine, like, spit, you know, na 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 to Satan because, hey, I'm in prison. <laughs> what? But that's almost what Paul is saying. Like, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And you can't get me out of prison, Satan. <laughs> that doesn't, you know, we, I think sometimes we, when bad things happen, we're like, oh, God, come and stop. Stop the plan of the enemy. Well, sometimes it's not the plan of the enemy. Sometimes it's God's plan. In fact, I would say all the time it's God's plan. But got to understand that not everything is an attack. Not everything is, is the, the enemy... The enemy might be behind something, but God is always flipping it around to, to make it for our good every single time. So even when bad things happen to us, it's still a gift from God. That is a crazy way to think. But it sure changes life around. I have a headache. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I don't know why I have a headache right now, but it's a gift from you. So I'm just going to ask you to help me understand how this headache is working towards my good. Instead of this annoying headache, ugh, I just wish it would go away, and letting it completely distract you from the from what's going on in your life. I know that sounds kind of like trivial and stupid, like go take an aspirin, okay, right? <laughs> but it's real, it's true, that's reality. He was the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he says, for the sake of you Gentiles. And remember, he's talking to the people who live in Ephesus. That church was made up almost completely of Gentiles. A lot of the churches that Paul planted, because he would go to the Jews first, um, a lot of those churches would be as we have as many Jewish converts as he did Gentile converts, but not Ephesus. In Ephesus, it was mostly Gentiles. So, verse two: If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, check this out. God has given to Paul stewardship of His grace. Now, this is a pretty big idea that we're going to spend some time on today. Okay, As the Apostle Paul refers to. His job as a steward of divine grace. That's his job. You know, what does a steward do? What does that mean, anybody? Come on. He takes from the sure, he takes orders from the king as to, to what end? Yeah. He sits on the lower throne and protects it. This isn't Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it the same idea? Like, no, isn't it the same idea? He basically looks after whatever he's been given. Yeah, kind of. Control of. You're close. Yes. <laughs> Not all the stewards were dumb. Just, just Denethor, son of Ichthelion. Um Yes, and then jumped off a cliff. It's really kind of. <laughs> Anyway, so no, you're you're right. They were the steward, but that 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 word steward means this doesn't belong to me, but I'm taking care of it. This doesn't belong to me, but I'm administrating it. And in in this particular biblical case, it's talking about um, the one who would parcel out the grain to the different people who needed to receive it. That was the steward's job. Okay, so the. The, the king would have all the grain in his storage bins, and then they would be giving it out to the different servants as they needed. And the steward, they would have to go to the steward to get their share of the, of, of the resource for that time. So the Apostle Paul is calling himself 
the steward of God's grace. Which means that the Apostle Paul is handing out grace. Now, not all the grace. It's not like the Apostle Paul is saying, you get to be saved and you don't. And you get to be saved and you don't. That's not what he's talking about. But he is saying that God has put grace, graces, gifts into Paul's hands that Paul is in charge of handing out. That's his job. Okay, we see that in a bunch of other places in the New Testament where he, where he talks about this and where this idea is talked about, being a steward of God's grace. Okay, Romans 1.5, he says that grace and apostleship have been given to him, to Paul, to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So it's a divine enablement to release grace to a people. Are you following my line of thinking here? He's been given, the Apostle Paul was given grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That was his job. That was what he was, that was the assignment he had been given by God. 1 Peter 4.10 spreads that out beyond just the apostles. And he says, to each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others because you are faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, every single believer is a steward of God's grace, just like the Apostle Paul. Okay? Now, each of us has been given a different kind of stewardship, a different kind of grace that we are to be dispensing at all times. Okay, And it, and it depends on who you are, what your makeup is, and what your calling is, and with the anointings that God, put, that God has put on your life, as to which kind of grace you are stewarding, what kind of grace is flowing through you to others. Does this make sense to you? Okay, The Apostle Paul was saying, look, this is... This is, this is my job. This right here is my role. I am the steward of God's grace to the Gentiles. Okay? And it's my job to call Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my job. Okay? But then in, in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says that all of us are a steward of God's grace in its various forms. And that the gifts we've been given by the Holy Spirit and the callings we've been given in this life and the opportunities and, and the connections and the relationships that we've been put in, those are all indications to us of what kind of steward and what kind of grace we're supposed to be giving out. We're the dispensers of grace. Okay, 1 Corinthians 4.1, the Apostle Paul says, calls himself a steward of the mysteries of God. Which this is one of the things I've actually asked God to make me. I want to be a steward of the mysteries of God. I really do. I'm like, ooh, I want to know the mysteries. I want to go deep. I want to say, yeah, I want to dive in. We're going to talk a lot about mystery in this in this next few verses. But I want to, I want to understand the mysteries of God, and then I want to be the steward of those, and giving them out, explaining them, bringing them to places where people can access and understand them. And the Apostle Paul says he and his team were stewards of mystery of the mysteries of God in 1 Corinthians 4.1. So here I have two questions for you. Okay. What grace are you stewarding? Because you are a steward of God's grace. You are a dispenser of grace. That's who you are. And I want you to ask yourself that question. What grace has been entrusted to me that I'm supposed to give out? 
There's a couple different things that can help you answer that question. Number one, what are your gifts, your talents, your ability? Okay. Number two, what is your experience? What's your life experience? What have you gone through? The Bible talks a lot about comforting with the comfort with which you have been comforted. In other words, when God has done something in your life, you have the anointing to pass that same gift that God gave to you to someone else. If God has ministered to you through healing, like he's healed you, then you can, you have been given a special grace to turn around and minister healing to other people. Okay, if God has delivered you from a certain, you know, like, you know, some kind of bondage, you know, demonic bondage or, or an addiction or whatever, then God has given you that testimony to stand and release that same grace into another person's life. Yeah, did you have your hand up or... Okay. I thought I saw you earlier. You were just stretching two times. I'm just teasing you. Okay. We were on the plane to Colorado a few weeks ago, and there was this woman three rows ahead of us that was just going. Maybe she's praying. She was directing the plane. And I'm like, I was like, what is going on? Okay. There's a man three rows behind us vomiting into the air system. <laughs> but that one I understood. This thing, I really didn't get. She's conducting the clouds. I don't know. It was weird. Anyway, so what, what grace are you meant to steward? What kind of a steward are you? What are your gifts, your talents, and your abilities? And what are your, what's your life experience? What have you walked through? Another one that, I mean, is what aspects of God and his word do you have a, a seemingly deeper understanding of than others? I had this vision experience, this very strange vision experience, set quite a few years ago, um, when I was standing in worship, and I got pulled into this vision experience where this there was this long, this rectangular room, and, and all that, I know, you really shouldn't sit there, much really shouldn't, because you know, you're just like afraid of my hand. I promise I'm not going to hurt you. Anyway, there's this rectangular room. It was very large. And the, and the, the floor of this room was were, were different colors. And it's like kind of a, a rainbow, kind of a, you know, just different pieces of the room were different colors. And in those colors, within the people standing on the certain sections of floor were wearing the same color as the floor that they were standing on. And we were all worshiping together. And as we were worshiping, light was coming up through the different portions of the floor and coloring the rest of the room that the color of that portion of the room. And when it would happen, that color that was coming up through the floor would shine on each of us and that color would mix with the color we were wearing. So like all of a sudden it no longer looked like I was wearing blue, but it was shining through the red floor. So it looked like I was wearing some, you know, kind of a mixture of those two colors. And this light kept moving around to the different, yes, purple. (laughs) I know what color it makes, but anyway, you know, the, 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 you know, the, that light was moving around underneath, and then in the later on in the uh, in this in this experience, the the light came up through the center of the floor where all those colors kind of met, and it was just this pure, blindingly bright white light. And then 
you know, anyway, I got I actually got sucked up into that light and began to worship in glory. But, um, it was kind of cool. But anyway, um, I, I began to ask the Lord to explain this to me. Like, what what is going? What was that? Because it may had no made no sense to me at all. And the Lord said to me, "My people are each called to reflect a certain aspect of my character, my nature. The different colors represent different." aspects of who I am, different dimensions of my character, my nature. Like one one dimension was like his grace, and one was his justice, and one was his joy, and one was his peace. Okay? And different people. You ever met somebody that just really understands one aspect of who God is? Like that's just who they are. And it's kind of written all over them. Well, the people that were standing in those different sections were people who had been given the, a grace to understand that reality of God extremely well. And when the light would shine up through it, what it was, the presence of God was manifesting that aspect of God's character and nature to the whole room. Even the people that didn't by nature understand those things extremely well, all of a sudden everyone was getting a taste of the mercy of God because it was shining through the mercy place. Does that make sense? And and that reality would begin to shine on everyone, and we were all like, oh, okay. And, and we, so we'd worship him for his mercy because that's what we would see. And then there was this moment where we went from seeing God piece by piece to just seeing his His completely raw glory, which was when he, you know, and we all got sucked into that, and, and worship went to a whole other place. And <clears throat> this is how I've kind of understood verses like this, where God has... God has created in each of us different, you know, imagine us as, as a different prism that's going to just reflect a, a uh, out of the, the perfect white light of God's glory. We will, we will refract that glory to the place where it's just, just a different part of the spectrum of the beautiful glory of God that can only shine out of each individual person. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I am this kind of steward. Of God's grace. This is the stewardship of grace that God has given to me. But my question to you is what is the stewardship of grace that He has given to you? You need to be thinking about that. You need to be asking the Lord and pressing in. There are things where I think about different preachers who I really love, and I've begun to kind of be drawn to different preachers based on the one message they really carry well. Okay. I think about Timothy Keller. He carries this gospel, the gospel message, just incredibly well, better than anybody I've ever heard. I think about John Piper, and I think about the 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 glory of God message. The 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 uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now. What's the higher than everything else? The 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 absolute um, transcendence of his glory. That's not right. The preeminence of God's glory. That's the word I'm looking for. The, the preeminence of the glory of God. That John Piper is the most powerful trumpet for the preeminence of the glory of God that I've ever encountered. Um, you know, I, I think about Mike Bickle, and the you know he carries this. For a long time, he was one of the most powerful uh, speakers in the area of of the prophetic. And then later on, God had him, and he in another area where he was really powerfully carrying um, 
passion for Jesus, which is really his life message more than anything else, his passion for Jesus Christ. And then there was a while when he was really teaching on the end times extremely strongly. So some people kind of move through these phases um, where there's a different message resonating in them that then they're trumpeting out to the body. And they just carry a grace to preach a specific reality. And so my question has always been, Lord, you know, what are the messages? What are the what are the ideas about you that that you want to live so powerfully in me that everyone that's around me will be marked by that message? And that's the grace I've been called to steward. Is everybody with me right now? Okay. And the Apostle Paul was called to steward this grace that God was making a call to the Gentiles to come and be a part of salvation. That is a message that no one had ever carried before. And thank God all of us sitting in this room are, are fruit of that ministry. The Apostle Paul stewarded his grace really well. The question is, will you? Because the truth is, a steward doesn't have to give anything away. He could just sit on, on all of it. So question one is, what grace are you called to steward? And question two is, are you doing it? Are you being a steward of that grace? Are you giving it out? Is it flowing through you to the people around you? Is it flowing through you to those that you've been given to minister to? I hope so. Verse three. that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. Okay, the mystery that he is talking about in this whole, he says mystery over and over and over again in this passage. The mystery he's referring to is the reality that the Gentiles have been called to salvation. We don't think of that as a big deal, but the Jewish people definitely would have. For a thousand years or whatever, maybe 3,000 years, they had been living in a place where they were God's chosen people and they were the only ones. And now the Apostle Paul comes along after Christ and says, guess what? God's calling the Gentiles into this also. And there was a lot of Jewish people that went, excuse me? Now, Peter was really the first one to receive this understanding from God. How many of you remember the story? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. When Peter was called, not, it is an Acts 2 actually. When Peter was called to go to the house of Cornelius. Okay. He's, he's up on the roof praying and God shows him a vision of all of these animals that Jewish people were not allowed to eat. And he says to him, get up and eat. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to do that. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. And then God does it two more times. And then God says to him, now there's, there are men downstairs who want to take you to a Gentile's house, and I want you to go and preach the gospel to them. Well, Peter was, did not understand until that moment that salvation was available to the Gentile people. He didn't get it. That was the moment that it became clear to him that salvation was available not just to Jewish people, but also to Gentiles. So he went to Cornelius' house. As he was telling the stories about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell in the middle of the service, and they all started speaking in tongues, the whole congregation. Okay? 
Just It was the day of Pentecost all over again, but this time it was among Gentiles. Before, everybody in that room, all 120 people in that room, were Jews. Now, he's in a room full of Gentiles, probably feeling extremely uncomfortable because they weren't really allowed to go to a Gentile's house. They were definitely not allowed to eat at a Gentile's house, and he had done that. <gasps> okay, And now, he's standing in front of a bunch of Gentiles, and he's telling them the secrets the mysteries of God. He's preaching to Gentiles. It must have been really hard for Peter. He must have been thinking, what am I doing here? And as he's doing it, God says, oh, Peter, get out of the way and fills them all with the Holy Spirit. Just boom. They get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit all in the same moment. God floods the place. And then Peter's like, well, how do I argue with the Holy Spirit? He decided to fill everybody here. I can't argue with that. They've had the same experience that I have. So this must be for everybody. And then the Apostle Paul kind of carries that message much further. But that's the mystery that Paul keeps talking about. Okay, he says, uh, anyway, verse 4. When you read, you can understand insight, my insight into the mystery of Christ. Again, it's that mystery that Jesus is connecting Jew and Gentile. Verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Okay, understand. Verse 6, to be specific, he says, this, this is how we know this is the mystery he's talking about, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, this is that mystery. Verse 7, of which I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. I love the Apostle Paul. He makes it extremely clear all the time. I didn't earn this place. I didn't ask for this place. I, no human put their hands on me and said, thou art apostle to the Gentiles. This was God's calling on my life, and it's God's divine enabling into my life to be able to carry it out. The Apostle Paul does not claim any kind of authority based on his education, although it was better than most, based on his experience, although it was unbelievable, based even based on his obedience. He, is, he does not claim anything of himself. He says, God made me this. Guys, if you are in ministry for any other reason than God picked you up and put you in that place, then you should not be in ministry. My parents used to always tell me, uh, if you can do anything other than ministry, then you should. Which kind of sounds harsh, right? Like, look, if there's anything else out there that you could do, then please go do it and don't be a pastor. Right? I mean, that's kind of like, ouch, especially coming from a pastor and his wife. But that's what they always used to tell me, because they knew the truth. That if God hadn't called me to this, there's no way I'd be able to make it. If God hadn't picked me up and put me in this place and said, I want you to do this, then there's, I, I, would, I would be, you know, subjecting myself to pain and suffering and difficulty for the rest of my life. You know, making not very much money at all and not, you know, for no reason if God had not called me to do this. I'd be endlessly frustrated, but God did call me to do this, and so this is the only thing I can do. 
All right, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Hey, reach up and reach up. Come on, stretch. Reach up. Stretch. Now reach down and touch your toes. Come on. Reach down and touch your toes. I can't touch my toes. Well, try. Just try. Just try. All right, you can sit down now. I just wanted to wake everybody up. Y'all are... I'll make you run laps if that'll help. Oh, no. My legs. All right. He's called and Paul was called and enabled by the working of God's power. Verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Okay, first of all, the very least of the saints. Do you know in the original Greek it actually says less than the least of the saints? It's like, I'm not pond scum. I'm the pus that the pond scum feeds on. Right? I mean, this is like... <laughs> but that's what he's saying. I am less than the least of all the saints. But to me, to me, was given this grace to preach to the Gentiles. Now check this out. This in, I love this phrase. And I love the next, the next couple verses are absolutely huge. The unfathomable riches of Christ. Okay, This Greek word means unsearchable, inscrutable, past finding out, immeasurable. It's his job to preach a reality that is far beyond the ability of human language to express. It is his job to preach the riches of Christ Jesus, which are so grand and so powerful and so beyond anything that any amount of human words could ever, could ever express. But that's his job, to express it. This is something that every single person who is called to preach has to wrestle with. The things that you have been called to describe, the things you have been called to help people understand are too, they are so massive, so completely beyond the scope of human understanding that you cannot do this job without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have to have God's help. Some of, the best pre some of the best teachers that I've ever sat under were teachers who were actually pretty terrible, but they really relied on impartation by the Holy Spirit. Okay, when I was in Master's Commission, we used to take, take this class uh, from one of, the, one of the prophetic intercessory ladies that was at the church, and she was a kook. She was. She was just kooky. She was not a good teacher at all. But I left that class understanding uh, stuff about prayer and intercession that that she never taught us. It's just we were we would sit in that class and she would she would just get goofy and the Holy Spirit would just flood the room and and she would say stuff that was like oh like 
I remember a couple times she would say something to class and I would literally just bend in half and just be like, ah! and I didn't know, understand that. What in the world is going on? Well, the Holy Spirit is going, okay, she sucks at this. And he was just going right around her and giving something to me. Something that I didn't even know how to put into words because she hadn't put it into words very well at all. She had said like a phrase and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, I'm going to throw up. Like just, uh, just something happened. Like something just began to stir. Because God uses the weakness of human language to take divine realities that are beyond human expression and to just shove them into our spirits so that we have an understanding of things that are beyond our brains. I want to understand stuff that I can't understand. Is that, you know what I mean? I think of, well, we'll get there if he, it, later on in this chapter. Uh, to, to know the unknowable. So we've been called to, and I've been called to explain the unknowable. I've been called to expound on the unknowable. I've been called to invite you into understanding of, the, of that which is beyond understanding. It is too glorious to understand. Oh, come on, people, you've got to get hold of this. Jesus is too glorious for our puny brains to wrap themselves around. Jesus is too mighty, too, too glorious, too powerful, too just, he would fry your circuits every single time. We'll just like, hi, <laughs> like, you know, that's all it takes. Jesus has to just show up for a fraction of a second, and all of a sudden we have no ability to stand any longer. Okay, I was standing on the stage on Sunday night. How many of you were at Sunday night's prayer time? <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm standing up there, and the Lord gives me this picture of angels moving around the room with horns of oil, okay, um, and pouring oil over people's heads, you know, just anointing them like Samuel did for David. I just saw this. I saw this in the spirit, these angels moving around with these little horns of oil. And then, <laughs> he's, uh, so I, I, I'm like, okay, so I share that. And as soon as I do, like as soon as the words start coming out of my mouth, I physically felt oil move, just pouring down over my, over my head. And with it, this heaviness of the presence of the Lord, like, like, it was like God was just like sitting on my shoulders. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm going, God, just let me put my guitar away before I fall over. Because I didn't want to break it. You know, it's my tailor and it's pretty. Anyway, so I finally just put it over on the, on the thing and I, and I just lay flat on my face. And I was stuck there. I could not move. I couldn't even lift my arms. I was trying to like get up. And when I finally did, was able to actually get up, it was really hard. Like I had to like. Like, it was just difficult to move. Do I have an explanation for any of that? No. Do I know exactly what God was up to? No. But I know I'm still sensing that. Even now. I mean, several days later, I can still, I'm still sensing the Holy Spirit hovering over and in and on me right now since Sunday night that he did something that night in me. I don't know how many of you, if you went through the, the fire tunnel thing, you know, some of you probably walked through and went, okay, that was interesting. And just kept, you know, just went on and did whatever. And some of you probably walked in there and then God just was like, and you were just, you know, you know, and, and I, you never know. Yeah. Okay. So I think it was to say that you were leading worship with your wife. Mm. Me and Daniel were up there and they said, like, they're up to pray. Yeah. Like, um, I think it was Thursday. Is that Friday? I don't know. Friday. 
Yeah, yeah, right there. Your kids were jumping up in the pews. Yes. What? They didn't do anything when he reprimanded them. They I just kind of look at him like, they looked whatever. At him, they sat down and then they just started doing it. I know. <laughs> I'm like, Grandpa, you, you can't. Because. My dad is the, the kind of grandpa that's like, I don't care, whatever, you know. So you can't, which is great. You know, grandpas are allowed to be that, right? But, but he was not that way when I was a kid, okay? It's like that, it's like the Bill Cosby thing, like, who is this man? You know, what happened to him? You know? No. You misheard me. Let me be entirely clear. Let me know you misheard me. I was not. I was not. Forget it. The Bill Cosby talks about his own dad and how his dad reacts to his to his kids. And his his dad's like, hey, I got some money for these little grandkids. And he's like, this is my father, who I would ask him for like a, a slice of bread, and he would be like, I don't know, I don't know if it's in the budget, right? Okay, so, like, and he's just contrasting. That's what I was referring to. Not anything else. My dad's the same way. I mean, he was he was pretty hard as a dad, I and mean, he was he was. You know, he didn't put up with anything. And now with his grandkids, he's just like, just let them do whatever. It's no big deal. And and that's all fine, except that my kids needed to sit on their butts in the pew and stop jumping over the pews, or I'm going to rip your legs off and beat you to death with them. I remember Ron when Caleb was in the youth group. I remember Caleb getting yelled at a few times. And that's what put the fear of God in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell you oh, what. Your mom's ear pinch. I remember, oh, my mom's ear pinch is your legendary. <laughs> Kyle experienced it. It's great. Kyle experienced it. She would always brag about the fact that it left no marks. <laughs> it inflicts great amounts of pain and it leaves no mark. I'm like, you are a sick and twisted woman. <laughs> anyway. I have no idea what we were talking about. Oh, so I'm sitting in it, and God was doing stuff in me, because sometimes God has to completely bypass your intellect to do something in your spirit, to give you something. It's like God just gets impatient with our puny brains and goes right around them and does something crazy. Back during the renewal, this used to happen on a weekly basis. Crazy stuff that nobody understood. I saw stuff that I'm like, what in the, I will never, I will never understand what the heck was going on then. You know, I remember one night where it was a prayer meeting. Our youth group used to do Tuesday night prayer meetings, and there would be 100 people there. Because every Tuesday night, God would show up in ways that were completely beyond anything. There was a night when I was so completely saturated by the Holy Spirit that I could not speak English at all. If I opened my mouth, it was tongues. There was no English that would come out, period. I tried very hard to talk to people in English, and I could not, okay? There was another night where every single person in the room ended up on the floor just out of the blue. We're just having a normal prayer meeting, whatever. All of a sudden, <laughs> the whole room, down, almost simultaneously, including my youth pastor who never got slain in the spirit. Like, that was just his thing. Like, he didn't get slain in the spirit. And he was laying on the steps up to the stage with his head on the head down, 
and his feet kind of sticking up in the air. He was six foot seven, okay? So he's, he was a big guy. And he's, he's laying there with his feet just sticking up in the air. And his hand is like this. And he's and, and I like crawled over there going, what is going on with PT? That's what we call it. And, and, and he's going, burr, burr, burr. <laughs> I don't know what that means. What, what was happening? I don't know. Do I have an explanation for this? No, I don't. Except for this reality. That it is the, un, these riches of Christ are unfathomable. The human mind and the human body cannot withstand the measures of glory God wants to pour out on us. That's just true. Now, there are seasons when God does that in church. Like when I first came in as, as youth pastor here at this church, God was doing some of that stuff. Like there was, and I remember the, our first winter retreat, my dad came and spoke at that winter retreat. And like we did this morning time where I'm like, you know, whatever you want to do, dad, you know, he gets up, he starts talking about the renewal. And all of a sudden the whole room just starts busting out laughing and, and, and there are just crazy stuff. People just start falling all over the floor. And, and I'm like, well, I don't. You know, we didn't do anything. It just happened. It just like, just you know. Uh, anyway, there was it was nuts. And sometimes it looks a little, you know. I mean, what it looks kooky. Yes, I mean, burr, burr, burr. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now there is a big difference, okay, between God doing something kooky to you, and you like seeking out. I want something kooky to happen to me. No. What we're after is the presence of God. What we're after is revelation of the unfathomable riches of Christ. And if something kooky happens, cool. If nothing kooky happens, I don't care. As long as I receive revelation of the unfathomable riches of Christ. Okay? I had an experience at the International House of Prayer quite a few years ago where I was there for the One Thing Conference. And we, we went into the, the, the main room. I had, I had taken my whole worship team there. I was... Uh, I wasn't youth pastor yet. I was just one of the youth leaders, and I had, uh, we had just gone up there. I said, I want to take my whole worship team to the house of prayer. So we went, and this is like the second One Thing conference they ever held. And these people were on the stage, and they were doing Christian contemporary music, not worship music. And I was really mad because I'm like, I brought them all the way to Kansas City not to go to Winter Jam. <laughs> okay. That was the only time they did for the rest of the night. Like it was really kind of funny because I, I left and a bunch of people followed me, but some of the kids that were with me stayed. And apparently there were people like going, do a worship song! Like in the middle of the set. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so anyway. Um <laughs> So there was 30,000 people there and the crowd started to get ugly. So um, so they had – I had seen all these signs that said the prayer room is open 24-7 even during the conference. So I said, well, I'm just going to go to the prayer room then. So I went downstairs and I didn't say anything to anybody. I just went to the prayer room and I turn around as I'm on my way down and like – 90% of the group that was with me are following me down to the prayer room. I was like, I love you guys. But I get down there and, and things are going good and the presence of God was in the place and it's just like, oh, this is awesome. And I started praying. Uh, I think it's Psalm 55. It says, search me, know me, see you know, if there be any wicked way in me. That, that prayer, because that's what they were singing. And then Jesus says to me really loud in my, in my head, I know you. I want you to know me. 
and I got this picture of Jesus kind of like pulling his robe open, okay? And and I fell out on the ground, you know, and it was just like I, I fell on the ground and, and I'm laying on the ground just kind of going, Whoa! like, you know, and I realized after a few, after a little bit, I heard the words that were coming out of my mouth. And I was like, oh, geez, because I had been told that if you if you get into some, some like crazy manifestations at the house of prayer, that they will carry you to another room because they don't want that to be the center of attention. Not that they're against it. They're just want that, you know, this we don't want this to take center stage. Jesus takes center stage. So we're taking you out. So I was worried they were going to come pick me up because I was laying in between two rows of chairs and I was yelling at the top of my lungs. He is the naked God. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I did not realize that at all. Until <laughs> it was like Yeah. Okay. Which I'm actually in the midst of writing that book, The Naked God. I'm 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 writing it. I'm gonna put it so I have a couple chapters done. But it's all about God's desire to 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 show himself to his people. Now, I didn't see Jesus naked or anything. I'm not saying that. But it was this this incredible desire of God's to reveal himself to me. That this like fire in the heart of God to 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 for me to know who he is. That blew my mind and and that's why I was yelling that. Which, anyway. No. As soon as I realized what I was saying, I stopped saying it. I was like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and the apostle says, this is my job. It's my job to teach what is unteachable, the unsearchable, inscrutable, past fighting out, immeasurable riches of Christ. That's my job. Verse 9. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Okay, to bring to light. Okay, another translation says to make all men see. What is the administration? Okay, somebody somebody tell me, somebody open to, to this passage in their Bibles, which you should be there anyway, but open to that. Ephesians 3, 9, and tell me what your version says. This is the New American Standard Somebody Mine says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery, which is, or which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. That's okay. Does it, does anybody who not does anybody not have the word administration there? I don't think I do. In verse nine. I have the message. Okay. What does it say? My task is to bring out in the open and make plain before God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Right. Okay. This word, what is the administration? I hate that word, the administration, because I always think of like the Obama administration. No, it's not. It's not. We're not. Don't think of your school administrator. Okay. That's not what's going on here. It's the how, the why, and the what of the gospel. That's what he, that's what he is supposed to be teaching. What? Yes, he has. What does it say? And to bring the light, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? Sure. The plan. It's the how, the why, and the what of the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul has been called to preach. 
The how, the why, and the what. That's when, when he says the administration, that's what he's referring to. So what is the good news? That's number one. How is it good? Why is this good news? And number three, how do you get connected to it? That's what the Apostle Paul has been called to preach. That's what we've been called to preach. First of all, what is the good news? Okay, that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died to pay for your sins and include you in the family of God. That's the good news. The second is, how is it good news? Well, you were going to burn forever, but now you're not. That's pretty great news. Not only that, you, you did not have God at all, and now you can be best buddies with him. He wants you to know everything about him. That's, that's why it's good news. The most enjoyable reality in all the universe has been, been made accessible to you for free. That is great news. Okay? The one thing you were designed to be satisfied by has been given back to you where it, has, where it was gone before all this. That's why it's good news. And then how do I get connected to it? Obviously, we understand by faith and not by works, we enter into the goodness of God. What was that face for? <laughs> I thought you buried it. Didn't you put it in the thing and have it go across the ocean? Be picked up on on a beach somewhere far away. Okay. <laughs> All right. This mystery, which which for ages has been hidden in God, this was God's big idea from the beginning. So now He is finally pulling the cover off and yelling surprise. Okay. God has been working on this from the beginning. There was no point in which God changed his mind and said, I was going to do this, but now I'm going to do that. No, God knew already what the future was. And he has been planning this revelation through all of time. He knew Adam and Eve were going to sin before he ever created them. In fact, that was a part of his plan, which is crazy, but it's true. That God wanted to show us, and not just us, but the angelic host, his manifold wisdom. Okay, I'm going to read this next verse. Verse 10 is where we're going to, we're going to stop. Okay, but I, this verse is massive. Okay, you got to get a hold of what I'm about to read. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Do you hear what I just said? God is displaying his manifold wisdom, not through, you know, the archangel Michael. No, through you. He is showing his manifold wisdom to the universe through the church. That is one of the most unbelievable, mind-blowing realities that in the entire, in, in Scripture, anywhere. Angels who have been staring into the raw glory of God since time immemorial. We have no idea how long the angels have been around. We have no clue. Maybe billions of years. We don't know, but they've been staring into the raw glory of God for their entire existence and they are seeing stuff in the church that they have never seen until now. That is nuts. That is crazy, but it's real. I have a few different commentaries 
here that actually did a great job of, of saying this. And uh, Barnes is one of my favorites. It says He says, It was not enough to show it by the creation of intelligent beings, the formation of eternal minds on earth, and the various ranks of the angelic world. There were views of the divine character which could be obtained only in connection with the redemption of the world. Hence, the universe was created and man was made upon the earth, not merely to illustrate the divine perfections in the work of creation, but in a still more illustrious manner in the work of redemption. And hence, the deep interest which the angel, angelic hosts have ever evinced of, in the salvation of man. In other words, God, in creation of all things, God was displaying his glory. He was showing us who he was. But there was something that in creation alone could not be seen. And so, in order to reveal the glory, his glory even further, he put into motion this, the drama of, of fall, redemption, and salva you know, salvation. This whole drama of mankind where we fell due to our own foolishness, and then Jesus came in and saved our souls, is showing the universe something about God that they could not see any other way. And that is why it's worth it. Because his glory is more important than anything else. Everybody following me on that idea? It is redemption that they see. An angel that's never fallen can't see redemption. They can't understand it because they've never fallen. They've had no need to be redeemed. But now we have fallen and God has redeemed us. The reality of God as a forgiver of the guilty, as a redeemer of what is lost, existed inside of God's heart before anyone ever fell. And he wanted to show it to us. So we fell and he redeemed us. Here's another one. This is Stott, is the name of the, the uh, guy that said this. It is as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater and the world is the stage, and the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play, and he directs and produces it act by act, scene by scene. The story continues to unfold, but who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in heavenly places. They are the ones watching and learning things about God they have never known before. And then finally, I love this one by this guy. I, don't, I think his name is pronounced Mool. It's M-O-U-L-E, but I don't know how it's pronounced. Okay. In it, and this is talking about an angel or, or an angelic being. An angelic being in his immortality, never touched by one drop of our cold river, death. It is instructive to him beyond all our thought to see his God triumphing over pain and death in some sufferer in the fire of martyrdom, or in the torture of cancer, or in the shipwreck, or just in the silent awe of any form of our departure from the body. They see these fallen and mortal beings, this community of the lost and saved, not only bearing and doing for God here on earth, but spiritually present with him in the Holy of Holies above. In other words... In seeing the drama of our lives, they see something about God that they have never seen before, and it causes them to worship. They see a reality about God that they have never been able to understand, except through the church. 
deep wisdom that exists in the heart of God that you will never see. Here's my question. We'll end with this. I always love doing this to everybody. Okay? All of history, okay, all of history has been, God, all of human history has been God, uh, uh, God's manifestation of a specific reality of who he is, okay? It's been the unfolding of the redemptive nature of God the Father, of his grace. We are forever trophies of his grace. That's why the redemption story played out, okay? And the end of this redemption story is that all of the universe will have been reborn through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. That's awesome, right? Okay, right? Everybody with me? That's so cool. My question is, what else is in God's heart that he needs to demonstrate, and how is he going to demonstrate it after this whole piece is all done? Because what if this isn't the first time God's done this? What if this isn't the first time in the history of God's relationship with his created beings that he has taken a, a, a group of, of, of created beings and walked them through a, a process in the midst of time that revealed realities about his nature that could be revealed no other way. What if he's done that multiple times over in the past and maybe that's where the angels actually came from because we really don't know. And what if we're going to be the angels watching for the next round with the new... I'm not saying this is what the Bible says, but it follows that, I mean, what are we going to do for eternity, right? Yeah, worship Jesus. But what if there are realities in Jesus' heart, in God's heart, that have yet to be revealed, that he still wants to reveal, that are completely unimaginable at this point because he has not revealed them through the only process available to him to reveal them. And now he's going to do that. And so he creates a whole other race of like, Something and and walks them through a process that kind of does this make sense to everybody? Yeah, he's he's taken ten thousand roughly ten thousand years <laughs> to to walk out and help help. Yes, but he lives outside of time, and a thousand years is a day to him. So it's just been a week and a half. <laughs> you know, it's not that big a deal. Hey guys, this week. He's like, <laughs> exactly. He's like, hey everybody. <laughs> I mean, so think about it. time is nothing to him, but the revelation of his glory is everything. So oh, that's ridiculous. That's your nosebleed moment for the day. Okay. I love thinking about this stuff. I love going. Hmm. Yes. Is your book going to be like this? I've done that a lot. Like with. Things like this about God? Maybe. The Naked God God book is going to be about God's... It's going to be just highlighting the the places in Scripture where God's desire to be known is is revealed, and they're all everywhere. Um, And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be unpacking all those and, like, the different ways, you know, through the... through all of... Anyway... Well, yeah, of course. Uh, before I before I seek to publish it, I will have you read it and 
sure they're desiring God next to it. Right now, I'm right now I'm working I'm working on that book, but I'm also working on another book called Solomon's Choice, which is about you know how Solomon chose success over the presence of God, and that it's walking through the stories of Abraham, Moses, and David, and how over and over again in their lives they chose the presence of God over what seemed like success, and that's why they're called the friends of God later on, and Solomon is not. When Solomon was invited to, but he didn't. He chose success over the presence of God. When God said, I'll give you anything, what did Solomon say? Well, I just, I want to do a good job. He said, give me wisdom that I might rule your people well. That's what he said. And that wasn't a bad thing to ask for. But if David had been asked, what is the one thing you want from me, David? I think you guys know what David's one thing was. One thing I have asked, and that only will I seek, what? To dwell in the house of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. David had that answer in his heart and in his head before, and, and God never asked him the question that we know of. Maybe he did. David's answer was, God, I want you. But Solomon's answer was, God, I just don't want to screw up. It's not an evil answer, but it's not the best answer. And I believe this is a prophetic word for the church in our generation. Are we going to choose the presence of God? Or are we going to choose material success? That's, that's the question of God before us as a generation. Do we want him or do we want what looks like we've done a good job? Solomon's choice. I'm almost done with the Abraham portion of that. No. So I, I may be totally, I may be totally screwing it up. Like I have no idea. I'm so like worried. I gave the first, the first part of of the book to a few people that I you know love and trust and that I know read a little bit, and they really like it. So I'm I'm hoping that'll be okay. I read a lot, but I've never written anything long. So why not do two at once? You know, I've got both ideas percolating in my brain. You know, I can't. I actually have more than two, but those are just the two that <laughs> I've got like five or six, but those are the two that I'm that have the most like cohesiveness to uh, I do feel like it's a part of my calling it to write. So. <laughs> I figure if I write them all at once, then I can just kinda like parcel them out like every couple of years. Hey, here's my next book. Worked really hard on this one. All at one time. It's correct.